0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Downstream From Religion podcast. Here we look at the book of Judges and show how the book highlights the problems and solutions directly relating to our times. Feel free to email me with comments or questions, rabbi at rabbibailey.com, B-A-I-L-E-Y. Oh, a special treat today. For all the listeners, first of all, you should know I love you, and it's a crazy world out there. uh, But we all need to obsess over being constructive and connecting to people that are into being constructive, away from idolatrous people, as we've defined it, as harm and death worship, and uh, putting on masks of other identities, and lack of health, uh, being uh, deconstructive. The other special treat today, whoo, a little frog in the throat there. The other special treat, everyone, is that we're going to speak about a topic that I think is the most prevalent of the issues going on today. Let's get a little bit literary. In the dystopian novel 1984, protagonist Winston Smith suffers under a totalitarian regime, the party with a capital P. He struggles to keep his dreams of rebellion alive in this tyrannical regime and his memories of what life was like before the party came into power. He has a hard time remembering. He is bombarded with brainwashing and propaganda, as they say in Russian propaganda. His brain is washed until he believes that 2 plus 2 equals 5 and he begins to love the party. Sitting here in August of 2021, it seems to me that half the population is brainwashed. I'm sure people can relate. And the other half probably thinks that we are brainwashed. One side believes one set of narratives, and the other, another. What we have here is a war of information. Finding accurate facts and dealing with slanted information, downright falsehood. These are two critical topics that permeate the story of Devorah and Barak, chapter four of Judges. And I plan on splitting them into at least two separate episodes. In this episode, we will deal with information, how it's presented in content. In the next one, male and female relationships, perhaps another. Okay, dear listener, in ancient times, biblical times, information was highly controlled. The world was ruled by strong-fisted kings and tyrannical despots. Important information was withheld or erased. Without Internet, with a capital I, people relied on word of mouth and whatever was written on the papyrus or ancient stone tablet, a steel, S-T-E-L-E, which were heavily censored by the ruling authorities. Many people were illiterate and information was highly controlled as the jewish people struggle to finish conquering israel one of the mightiest armies invades from the north which is what they were wont to do in those days that's how they came by in the north the king was Yabin. might be jabin in your bible take a look he was the king of the canaanites mighty nation one of the two or three biggest powerhouse nations and the father of actually all the other nations that you read about was the Canaanite, Canaanite. The Canaan himself, for whom the land is named, before it is named Israel, um, gave birth to a set of sons and his name continued on in the nation of Canaanite. So anyway, this king, I will call him Yavin because that was in the original Hebrew, You can call him Jabin, take a look. Um, In this podcast, I'm, I'm continuously developing my style. I'm going to give you a synopsis of the story, so you can just listen and enjoy yourself. You can look at the text later in the scriptures. So, Yavin comes with his general Sisera, who is mentioned by name. Let us go through the story, and we will bring key questions and bring answers to a confusing world. So, as is the cycle... Shamgar, we spoke about last week about stay-at-home orders, siege, divide and conquer. He is no longer mentioned in the narrative, although he may have lived later. And Ehud is, he passes away. He was mentioned two judges ago. And the Jewish people did what was evil in the eyes of God. God delivered them into the hands of Yevon, king of Canaan, Canaan. Who reigned in Hazor? He reigned there because Joshua had pounded his nation. He went into quasi-exile, living somewhere else. You can go and see in Israel today. Please go there. Please spend your money and support the Jewish people. He reigned over there. You can go visit all these places. Beautiful. He brought his general Sisera, and he dwelt there in Heroshes the Goyim. You can check out uh, different maps. I'm still working on uh, uploading them to my website or tweeting them out. I receive permission, but it's not easy to post them in a way that is clear. The children of Israel cried out to God, and Sisera had 900 chariots. Because he had that many chariots, he subjugated Israel for 20 years. We must understand. Why is his name uh, Yubin, It seems to mean I will understand. What does that mean? Is it signi- What's the significance of Canaan? He and Canaan coming and... Attacking the Jewish people. Why is his general mentioned? We don't hear generals about uh, you know, Ehud conquering Eglon and his generals. We just hear about the king or the nation. Of what significance are all of these details? Um, and as we know, uh, the general purpose why we're here is to understand what the exact sin was among the Jewish people at that time. What the tikkun, what the cosmic fixing is. And what the message is for us. Why do we hear those details? Continues the narrative. Verse 4. 4-4. Deborah was a prophetess. Wife of Lapidoth. Who is Lapidoth? Why is Deborah sent to fix this situation? And here's where we get into the map. Very important map. Again, I, I encourage everyone to purchase this uh, book. It's now in English. You can't get better than that. The Da'at Mikra Bible. D-A-A-T M-I-K-R-A, Bible, atlas, Um, worth every penny. Goes through history, wonderful pictures. I have it in Hebrew and English, Hebrew from 20 years ago, English from now. Thank God we live in these times. A lot of good things. So, again, we're going with our triangle, right? Picture a pyramid triangle, then turn it 90 degrees counterclockwise. The point of the triangle is facing the Mediterranean Sea over there on the bottom. Boom. The right side is a long, the long... um, Longest part of the triangle. You can use your fancy hypotenuse words on your own. And, um, you know, a little around halfway down that triangle is a dead sea, which is a salt sea. Farther up to the top, about mm, 20% the way down, the triangle is called the Sea of Galilee or the Kinneret. Um, different lakes up there. A couple different lakes. Don't want to mix them up, sorry. But uh, above that, okay, and, and all, along that line there is the Jordan River. Water coming down tributary to those lakes. So, as I mentioned, it's common that people would traverse the um, land from the Transjordan, which is Jordan over there, on the right side of the triangle to the east. They would traverse it over to Israel uh, by way of going through the north up there. It was much easier. Um, so that's how the king came over. However, Deborah was way farther down south in the middle of the country, in between Benjamin and Ephraim, again, Ephraim, whatever you call them, in your uh, church or your faith. Now just to be clear, all the different all the tribes had their own little states carved out, little areas where they lived. and Deborah was farther down south by Benjamin and Ephraim above Judah. All this is significant, and she would she communicated with Barak up north. Um, so to answer one of our questions, uh, this Lapidoth here mentioned, one opinion says it is uh, Barak, her husband, who's mentioned a couple of verses later. Let me continue the narrative. She tells, she's basically the head judge, uncommon, a female. Why is she the judge? Let's get into that later. She she calls. Her husband up north sends a message. Or alternatively, she was the wife of Lapidoth means she was a fiery woman. Strong, bold woman. In any event, Barak was her co-worker, either her husband or just a co-worker in the government. Over there at that time, she tells him, "Um, You should go and fight. Stop these evil people from coming. And he says, I want you to go with me. She says, fine, but the glory will not be yours. The glory will be mine. Now, this glory of battle, the word mentioned is tifartah, from the root tiferet. Um, so it could have mentioned many words for glory or aggrandizing, to say it in a different way. You know, Why is this word tiferet mentioned here? And by now, if you're understanding that my seven uh, ideas are connected to the Kabbalistic emanations, um, that the, you begin to hear this code word. Why is this word used? So, divorce says, fine, I will schlep up north. She goes up there, Barak Mustard, got together Zebulun and Naphtali to a place called Kadesh. He went up and fought along with northern tribes. Why, you know, why were they brought? Because they're close by. Do you remember that we had other issues up north? The Jewish people allowed there to be cities to leverage the taxes and to rule over there. This will be no coincidence. That's that's in the map of your mind up towards the top of the triangle. All of those things took place. We shall tie it all together. It's getting obvious. So, Barak mustered them and, they, and Devorah went up with them and Sisera was told that Barak is up there. Sisera took 900 chariots, and they went over there near the Kishon Brook. So Deborah said to Barak, arise, for God has brought him into your hands, and God panicked Sisera. Verse 15, Sisera is all panicked, and the Jewish people are able to chase them and smite them down by the sword. They can never take our freedom. Sisera himself flees to the tent of Ja'el. I guess you call her Ja'el in the scriptures. Wife of Heber the Kenite. There was peace between uh, Yavin and the Cainite. So Sisera thought he could get a freebie over there. She ends up killing him and destroying the evil, 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 oppressive regi- uh, uh, general. And stopping that regime. And it's mentioned in the song over here, but the waters of the Kishon Brook, God made them to be supercharged and powered, and they helped to block and to, to confuse and to kill the Canaanite troops. All right. So let's understand exactly the exact crime the Jewish people had, as well as the remedy that was here. Alright, so it's very important for you to know something interesting from the Jewish law. I mention often Rambam Maimonides, the the medieval scholar, one of the greatest scholars in history. He wrote a book called Mishneh Torah, which means the repetition of the Bible. He essentially wrote down all the laws, and they are highly organized. Whenever you have a question, the answer is a great insight. So he writes laws about idolatry, the laws of idolatry within the laws of idolatry, it mentions the laws of blasphemy, blaspheming God, cursing God, saying God should contract, saying God should kill God, God forbid, we should never say such things. Um, So, essentially, it, it makes sense conceptually those laws would be there, because someone who's blaspheming, whether it be cursing God, or cursing his friend with God's name, etc., it is a type of idolatrous practice. In Hebrew, idolatry is abu Dazara, foreign worship. If someone is worshiping in a way God did not prescribe, that is wrong. If someone is taking away from God's, taking away in people's eyes from God's existence, that is a type of idolatry, essentially. So here I found some very clear sources that Sisra, this general himself, was a blasphemer, one of the biggest blasphemers of all time. And in those days, too, they declared themselves to be gods. So essentially what you have here, a man named Sisera, blaspheming, deca- declaring himself a god. His name means a moth or a worm, low spirit, a transgression, a rebel, evil lordliness. So essentially this is a dictatorial slime ball who's a blasphemer. He's a stre- extremely strong. In, in this time, the idol was foreign powerful kings. Sisra and Yavin were the idol, the, the idolatry, if you will, the foreign worship, if you will, in those times. That is the remedy that the Jewish people have to defeat. They don't believe that their God can help them win at that time. That's the mistake. Think back to the book of Genesis. There's a, man, there's a king named Avi Melech. Both Abraham and Jacob interact with this person, probably a title that extended upon son after son, multiple generations. But in Abraham's time, I believe he brings along his general. This Abimelech king, Abimelech, brings along Pichol, a man named Pichol, who's a general. And it became very clear there what's going on once I started analyzing their names and their behavior. Avi Melech means, my father is the king. If someone is, is a king by dint of their father being a king, they don't feel strong themselves. Of course they bring along their general. Their general is the one that's making them feel high and mighty. Think about North Korea and these places, right? So later on you see with Isaac too, that Isaac is very strong and prosperous. He moves away from the Avi Melech in his time of him says find it out then he comes and begs for him to be t- partner with him it's very pathetic actually so i believe this yavin king needed sisera and sisera was actually the one in charge over here in many ways um, and i understand an ancient you know artifacts they found it signifies that yavin is a king um, however it's not that clear and on top of that someone could you know the people that are the victors write history right so we st- we can, the, the Bible gives an insight into his inner psychology. Yavin doesn't, always mean, doesn't quite mean I understand. If you think about the Kabbalistic language, the mystical language that I was using to interpret this book, everything falls into place. There are seven lower emanations that we talked about that are things you must achieve before kingship, right? The humanistic giving, the guarding, the protection, the symbolism, the education, the emotional helping, etc., and there are actually four upper abstract concepts that one has to master as part of this um, development of, of a king and development of a universe and inter- interpreting human psychology and philosophy. One of them is called Bina, all right? This relates, this relates to intuition. This relates to physical forms, comparing items together. It's, it's sort of kinesthetic type of learning and patterns. So Yavin was a man... Yavin is a man in this text who is more about intuition and feeling. He's, he's, he's more of like that Eglon king we had before. Eglon, he's, he's, he's much more a jolly and emotional person. He might have been mighty, I'm sure he's powerful, but he needed this Sisera king. So in this time, Sisera has to fall. So when Deborah comes along, let's get back to my other notes here. Let's get into the character of Deborah and why her achievement is so symbolic. Okay. The first thing you must know is that I'm, I plan on, God willing, having another episode after this with her interaction with Barack, male and female interaction. Let's get into Deborah. So, if you look, Deborah's personality is very similar to Moses. There's a lot of intertextuality between her and Moses. She. Is bringing a religious revival. She walks near water. The water divides and saves. The same thing with Moses, at the Sea of Reeds, the Yam Suf, whatever, however you translate it. And also, if you go through Moses' life, he is always do. He is always doing something that's educational, symbolic, Jewish law. He is the archetype, the master of what we call netzach, what we call edu- education and absolute morals. We will see this idea with the next judge, Gideon. However, Deborah has this personality as well. Seems almost superfluous. Why? If we're going through the ste- seven steps of kingship, this step should just be some type of creativity. Oh, look at this. The word that's used for glory is tifartah. Let's get away from the word Glory. Tiferet is an idea, not just of creativity in my normal writings and pattern, in normal mystical language, it's also symbolism, messages. If the Jewish people, through God, can conquer Sisera and Yavin, it won't just be a glorious victory, it will be hugely symbolic. And in the text, when the evil is defeated, that is a clear symbol a message, a metaphor, that God is the one who's in charge. These these kings cannot be treated as gods. And I've actually heard people from the CCP, right, the Communist Party of China, which causes tremendous evil and destruction and blasphemy. They call their party God. And you see, that is that is a form of idolatry. It's not only bowing down to gold and sticks and stones. It is also putting power in the wrong place, putting hope and even fear. Oh, A-W-R. You're from New York. It's putting R in the wrong place. That is the mistake. So the reason that Deborah is here is because you cannot only have the message that's going on, you have to have the content. That's what brings us back to 1984 to 2021 is that when a person has information, there's the message And there is the content of the message. Deborah here is the content of the message that the Jewish information that's being presented is essential. The biblical information is truth. The war is the medium. And it's for this reason as well that these tribes are involved. I'm going to mention to you multiple times about the rift between David and his family and... Joseph and his family and fans, so to speak. When we hear about the beginning of Joseph's life, he's joining together. Now remember, Benjamin wasn't alive, so he has no full brother yet. At the beginning of his life, he's joining together with some of his half-siblings. Jacob marries four wives, even before Benjamin's born, and Leah And Rachel are the main wives, and actually Rachel is his main wife. Leah was supposed to marry Jacob's brother Esau, but Esau, we call him Asav, turned out to be wicked, scorned the religion, so Jacob had to become himself and Esau. Essentially, Jacob marries Rachel, Leah, and their nursemaids, Bilhah and Zilpah, Leah, gives birth to Reuben, Sim, Simeon, Simon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Dina, Dinah, whoever you pronounce her. Bilha has Dan and Naphtali. It's really Dun, not Dan like Daniel, Dun. And Zilpah gives birth to Gad and Asher. So it says that, really, Leah's, if you look in the text, Leah's children become sort of the main, the mainstay, the main people. Judah is the king. Levi is the priest. And really, Reuben Reuben was supposed to be the priest in the kingship. But Reuben and Simeon um, did some misdeeds somehow. It was passed along. But essentially, Leah's children are the kind of what you might call the, the mainstays. And other people are more the alternative type of people. Again, all 12 tribes are holy. They're called the tribes of God. But certain people end up having leadership positions. Other people have different types of leadership, or more secondary roles. So Joseph is hanging hanging out with Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher, Zilpah and Bilhah's children. They're people who are more off the beaten path, um, more of the alternative folks. And King David comes from Judah. So King David is sort of setting the tone. And Joseph is someone who is a catalyst to bring together the nation. As I mentioned in the inter- in the introduction, But Judah is really the kingship, which is the final step. However, we see repeatedly that these two camps are separate. For example, the tribes of Judah and the tribes of Israel, and Joseph being sent down to Egypt and reuniting, on and on. So if you go back to our text, the cosmic fixing, so to speak, the development of what's going on is beautiful. Number one. Up north, you have cities that were meant to be driven out or wiped out. However, the northern tribes, who are Issachar and Zebulun, they end up having to join together in a war with Naphtali up there. So they all joined, the the children of Leah and Rachel and Bilhah, have to come together to stop the original mistake of leaving around these cities for tributary money and power. And on top of that, Deborah is down south. Deborah, again, is the archetype of uh, education and religion. She's almost functioning like a Moses-Levite figure. She's down there by Ephraim, Benjamin, and Judah. She's down there by the children of Rachel, and by Judah as well, just north of there in order to say to them, listen, we know that you're children of Joseph. You all are more about enjoying the secular world. You're not as religiously, culturally religiously as we are. Even though you're involved more in the secular knowledge, the secular world, uh, aesthetics and flair and being dynamic, we, you, you, that could lead to idolatry one day. You need to also be involved in religion. And she comes up north with Barak. We'll see why in terms to strengthen him to make a full fixing of the rift, to continue fixing the rift between the brothers and Judah and Joseph, as well as to to get rid of the idolatry of the money and power up there, and then to dispel the notion that the evil leaders are in charge. As a side note, it's not totally clear in the text, but the Jewish tradition highlights that um, Issachar and Zebulun had a deal, or Zebulun would live on, live by the sea, and they would make a lot of money. And they would fund Issachar's um, men to be scholars and highly educated in deep topics. It was a, a trade. So I understand here that's what they're supposed to be involved in, not in levying taxes from the idolatrous nations. It's a beautiful little addition to the topic. Okay, let's get back to our, you know. uh political implications here the facts and how they're presented again sitting here in august 2021 we're on the cusp of a second set of lockdowns in the u.s and other countries many other countries are already locked down virtually the entire time you got canada australia uh england the uk ireland has it uh very harsh I theorize that never before has there been such a mass awakening across all political affiliations to the fact that we have been misled and lied to when we supposedly are the generation with the most information. You know, it's not possible that XYZ News tells you something and then you hear something else from government leader, and you actually go to the pharmaceutical company, print things out, and it tells you something else. There has to be truth, and it's possible to find the truth if you shake yourself out of the the dream here. The mist. The most accurate information can be found. Many recognize, at least, that the information we're being told flip-flops. But you must talk to yourself, your family, the people around you. Keep presenting the self-interest, the politi- politica. Oh wow, long words. Politicization. Politicians and epidemiologists say one thing one day, the opposite another. Recent FOIA, Freedom of Information Act requests, have exposed powerful, influential people withholding key information. They, themse- they themselves are on camera flip-flopping. We have to realize, even though it's upsetting, that. Even though we have seem to have a very casual society, there people have taken liberties upon us, just like these idolatrous nations in judges with the same roots of selfishness and self-destruction, power and money. But I think it goes beyond power and money. Many people do believe in um, idolatrous and foreign beliefs literally and quasi quasi-literally figuratively. People are busted, totally busted, withholding information from March 2020, from before, and telling the public the opposite, back and forth, back and forth. We have to shake people out of their disbelief, even if it's upsetting. We're not supposed to be upset. We're not supposed to be depressed and anxious. We're supposed to do something about it. Many protests are going on all around. And again, the answer is not, I'm not saying to be right-wing fanatics. The answer is that everyone should have a fair shake. And better values and transparency. People cannot abuse government to control others. It's supposed to work for us. Until recently, I never understood why there's no happily ever after. At the end of 1984, dear George Orwell, why? Now I understand. Communism is really totalitarianism. And this ideology brings no hope. There is no constructive downstream from this religion, from this ideology. There is no hope. As they say in Baltimore, no hope. In Seattle, no hope. Almost identically, Avodazara, idolatry, foreign worship, is based on manipulation of information and control. The war against it is one of making a statement about the facts and fixing the medium. There should be no reason for censorship. If people are telling the truth, what's the reason? How can we solve this malady of manipulation? Constitutional lawyer Robert Barnes brings the following quote and elaborates. All of the corrupt institutions, he says, could never shut down, quote, the archives of nature and the rights of man. That, as long as you can look to the world and use the faculty of reason, and listen to your own soul. Then you can push back against any false narrative from institutional power, powers that wish to corrupt the truth. And it's the power of the people to listen to sort of God's fingerprints, he continues, on our souls and on the world around us. All we have to do is employ it and utilize it. And that's always been the way to fight back. That's why they So obsessed with censorship. That's why they're so obsessed with control. That's why they're so obsessed with anyone questioning the institutional narrative. In the language of the Jewish Talmud, make your ears into a millhopper. In modern-day parlance vernacular, we would say a filter. Snap out of the confusion and find the truth with a capital T. For us, we must vehemently guard our families and communities from false information and tainted mediums but you know what i wrote that but you know what more than that i don't want to become a censor we need to teach people how to think how to be objective this is what education used to be about i'm I'm just i'm speaking here from the heart that's what education should be is the ability to divorce yourself from emotion from your past biases and to really think about if something makes sense Use your intuition and knowledge, knowledge and intuition, and further research. That is really the method. Become more objective. Research with intuition and wash away the brainwashing. In that way, we begin with a refined ideology, a religion that gives forth, downstream from it, purity and righteousness. I appreciate you listening. Let us turn our depression and anxiety into strength and hope and standing up. Let us find the archives of nature and the rights of man. I hope you enjoyed the Downstream From Religion podcast. Feel free to email me with comments or questions to rabbi at rabbibailey.com. That's B-A-I-L-E-Y. Please subscribe, tell your friends, write me a review, tweet me, Ian Paul Bailey. That's Paul with two L's. Or to 7 Ways, at the number 7, W-A-Y-S, or 7 Ways Wellness. I look forward to hearing from you. Any kind of sharing, comments, uh, critiques, um, spread the love. And may you spread thinking, thinking and analysis.